Hello everyone and welcome back to Bruce Less Traveled. Once again, I am your host, Brian Hathaway, and I'm coming to you today from the airport nice and early in the morning here. I'm actually getting ready to head out and check out a few more of our upcoming cities that will be featured on Bruce Less Traveled. Uh, this is one of my favorite parts of the job, get to get out and actually visit these cities, try the different beers, meet the people behind the breweries and the people that make the beers, and uh, really, really excited to get on the road. Also excited to be sharing this week's episode with you. It was a great one. Uh, MC and I sat down with Elizabeth Belden of KC Beer Co. and talked about their company's dedication to classic brewing processes. We also talked about Elizabeth's role as a judge at the Great American Beer Festival and also how it feels to be a recipient of those awards. We also got to enjoy uh, Casey Beer Co.'s Hefeweizen and Schwartz Beer, two classic German styles that were done exceptionally. So join us for another episode of Bruce Less Traveled. Bruce Less Traveled is recorded in front of a live Zoom audience. You may hear mentions to the chat or the live stream viewers. If you're interested in participating in the live stream, you can join the Bruce Less Traveled Beer Club at Bruvana.com. Hello, everybody. How's it going, MC? I'm great. How are you, Brian? I'm good. Very good now. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Excited to be talking about another Kansas City brewery. You know how I love Kansas City breweries. So super, super excited about these two beers we are about to drink. And equally, if not more excited about our guest that we have on tonight. Absolutely. So tonight, as MC already mentioned, we are featuring another wonderful brewery from Kansas City, Missouri. Tonight's brewery is the Kansas City Beer Company, KC Beer Co. for short. We are joined for uh, we are joined again by a, another wonderful guest, uh, Elizabeth Belden uh, from KC Beer will be our guest tonight, and we have two great beers as MC mentioned, uh, KC Beer's Hefeweizen and their Schwartz beer. Uh, you also got an awesome KC Beer sticker uh, with your box this month, and I know I myself I can't wait to throw that on my trash can full of beer stickers. Right. Yeah, mine's going on my water bottle. Just like all of them. Nice. I filled my water bottle many years ago. I filled my uh, the back of my laptop just about a year ago. So I've moved on to my office trash can. I guess my door is next, like a, <laughs> like a teenager. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe I need a skateboard to put oh, my yeah. stickers on. Perfect. Oh, one of our viewers at home, KitKat, mentioned they make their magnet or they make their stickers into magnets. Oh, that's a great idea, Kent. And someone else said they put them on their bottling bucket. Awesome use of stickers. Uh, but I think I think it's time to get into this first beer. So we're going to start with the Hefeweizen tonight. We got bottles here. Let me grab a glass. And something to note about pouring a Hefeweizen. Uh, MC, you want to take that one? Yeah. So there's actually instructions on how to pour this Hefeweizen on the side of the bottle, which is really helpful. So Brian's got his most of the way full. I've got mine most of the way full. Just rouse the yeast that's left in the bottle a little bit. Sometimes the bartender will like put it on the counter and like roll it 
kind of fun. Um, either way, make sure to rouse up that yeast and then pour it straight down the middle. So you get that nice, beautiful haze and a big foamy top there. Nice. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Cheers, Brian. Cheers. Cheers, MC. And cheers, everyone joining us from home, wherever you may be listening. Um, I was trying to rouse my yeast next to the microphone. I don't know if it picked up that that sounds if you know we really brought people into the into the tasting with us there but i don't know that you can really hear the rousing of yeast but i like it i like the it. producer will yeah. tell us yeah uh <laughs> yeah and you don't you know that's not typical of pouring a beer you may be like i don't know if these people know what they're talking about typically you don't in a bottle conditioned beer you don't want to pour the yeast in um you want to keep that kind of decanted off but a hefeweizen is unique in that way you want to pour it right in there make that nice beautiful haze get all those esters and phenols and yeah i would assume that's because yeast plays a super super important role in hefeweizens all that banana and clove right. and like circus peanut aroma and flavor that's just exploding from this beer is almost entirely coming from that german yeast yeah exactly and casey beer company is um you know, they're, they're purists. So they use a really, really great yeast strain. Um, and that's where, like Brian said, all of those really beautiful flavors are coming from right now. Yeah. Casey Beer's description of this is pale is pale and hazy. You'll get some bready malt flavors, really low bitterness as, as is traditional with Hefeweizens, low bitterness, bready, malty flavors, beautiful, fruity banana esters. And as uh, MC mentioned, they do everything traditional, and this beer is actually conditioned with yeast from a Bavarian monastery. Can't get more traditional than that. Yeah, and their space, um, you know, I actually got to visit their space. I got to visit with our guest in person um, a few months ago, oh. and their space is right in line with um, all of their tradition with German brewing. So they have this beautiful, big German beer hall um, with these long wooden, like community style tables. So there's, you know, probably, I don't know, 10 tables or something that just everybody sits at together. Um, and it just fosters like the ability to sit and have a beer and end up talking to a stranger. Um, it's a really warm, welcoming space. Um, I loved it. I have seen pictures of a really great beer garden, but like I said, I was there, uh, in December. So I was not in the beer garden. I was in the beer hall where it was warm and toasty. Um, and I got some excellent service from the bar so if you're ever in kansas city it is absolutely worth um making a stop over there not just drinking their beer but getting over there um it's in a great little neighborhood as well getting over there and sitting down and having a beer i i love beer hall style service i i love the long tables i i don't know it some people find it cumbersome to have to walk back up to the bar but i like walking back up to the bar ordering I just like that beer hall feel. It, it does feel so communal and welcoming. And, uh, you know, KC Beer's motto is we put the I back in beer because uh, they are that passionate about brewing traditional German beer. That is B-I-E-R. I think you'll even see it on the bottom of your bottle cap. It says we put the I back in beer. Oh, yeah. That's their motto right under your bottle cap there. Yeah. And, you know. Like he said, 
very traditional brewing that they do. In fact, they still adhere to the Rheinheitsgebot, which I'm sure many of you know about. I'm sure you've heard Brian and I both talk about it. And we'll get a little more context for what that is when we talk to our guest here shortly. Um, but that Rheinheitsgebot is basically just a German beer purity law that Casey Beer Company still follows, German brewers still follow. And it really just boils down to you have to brew with four ingredients and four ingredients only, yeast, hops, uh, malted barley, and water. Obviously, we're drinking something with malted wheat as well, um, which is a kind of an exception. So, which is kind of the one of the craziest things about that is it it that law that specific beer purity law originated out of Bavaria, and Bavaria eventually became so well known for their Hefeweizen. So it's so odd that an area that has this very well known purity law defining that beer is these four ingredients eventually became known for this style that bucked that trend and, and uses a heavy portion of wheat, which, as MC said, is not one of those four. But malted wheat, you can't use unmalted wheat. So, you know, a little loophole, but not much of one. Oh, really? That That's it? It's, it's, it's like a loophole because it's malted wheat. They're allowed to use it? I think so. Oh. I'd, be inter- I'd be interested to ask our guest this here shortly. Um, maybe we can have her chime in. Help Brian and I welcome Elizabeth Belden, um, brewer and lab manager at Casey Beer Company. Elizabeth, welcome to Travel. Hey, it's good to see you. You too. Been a minute. Yeah, definitely. It was so great seeing you in person. I'm glad I get to uh, be back on talking to you over the interwebs. What are you drinking? Um, I have a short beer. Nice. I'm bringing it out of the bottle. Please don't judge me. This is a, this is the laziness maneuver. I just didn't feel like washing a glass. That's, that's right. <laughs> when you drink a beer, say, you yeah. can do, do whatever as I, you want with yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Yeah. So, Elizabeth, you want to start us off by you know telling us more about what you do at KC Beer? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I was brought on in 2016 to um, start up the lab program because um, up until that point, everything was only on draft and there was no bottle line, and so the um, shelf stability was just really not a concern. And so uh, just our owners and our head brewer are knowledgeable enough to know that they wanted to have a measure of quality control in place when they actually started packaging to make sure that, make sure that there was like, it was microbiologically stable make sure the oxygen was low and all that good stuff. And so I had a lot of lab experience coming from my old job at Boulevard where I was in the lab for 10 years. And so I kind of built the lab program and then, uh, Maybe six months later, they kind of realized that they needed another member on the brewing staff, and it wasn't really a full-time lab need. And so they asked if I wanted to learn to brew, and I said, absolutely. And so I kind of uh, split my time doing that. Yeah, kind of depends on the schedule, kind of varies week to week, which is really which is really nice. A lot of variety. Awesome. And uh, we've already mentioned that uh, Casey Beer is often cited as being authentic what does that mean to you as a brewer? Um, so I came from a company that, you know, was kind of very rooted in like just American brewing traditions. And so it was really interesting to come into Beer Co. and learn about the dedication to the German traditions, which, you know, are, are not like better or worse. It's just it's a different approach. And I really I really enjoy the dedication to it. 
And it almost forces a different kind of creativity, I think, because there are so many restrictions on what we can do and what ingredients we can use and the methods that we can do it with that it almost forces you instead of like, oh, well, my creativity is going to be like going to the cereal aisle and dumping a bunch of like (laughs) cocoa puffs into the mash. It's like, yeah, that's one version of it. Or you can't do anything like that. And you have to try and make something interesting despite having kind of these guidelines. And so it's been a really fun thing to, I mean, it's it's been a really fun system to learn to brew on. It's um, a 30 barrel and it's got a nice amount of manual stuff that, yeah, I was going to say, I I recognize that. (laughs) Yeah. That's so interesting that you say that it helps with creativity rather than like, this is what a German Pilsner is. You must brew it this way. Um, And I agree. Like I have so much respect for brewers that aren't throwing cocoa puffs in their beer. (laughs) You really can't hide any brewing mistakes in a well brew beard like you guys do at KC Beer Company. Um, So it's really interesting that you mentioned that about the creativity. And, you know, follow up to that, one of my favorite things about KC Beer Company and about you know, you gave uh, me a little tour of the brew house. One of my favorite things to check out was the, um, where you guys do all of your decoction mashings. Mm -hmm. And everybody will see that on their bottles that you decoct most, if not all of your beers at KC Beer Company. So could you maybe just like explain to us in layman's terms, like what decoction is and what the advantage is to do decocting in the brewing process. So uh, decoction is when you basically you're, you're boiling a third of the mash. The way that we do it, we have three different mash rests and then we move two thirds of the mash into the louder ton and kind of let it hang out there, boil the remaining third and then move the whole thing into the louder ton for kind of another rest and to deactivate all of the enzymes because it's sitting in there like, you know, it's been at 72 degrees, most of it has. And so the boiled half is going to like raise the temperature of the regular, the rest of the mash and uh, deactivate everything. And I think decoction was a little bit more important before like grain was as modified as it is now. And so really there's not a whole lot of like sugar, like starch that's like not accessible. And so uh, I think most of it is kind of tradition, but also like we really want our beers to be able to, you know, dry out as good as they can and, be as clean as they can. And so it's just sort of, it's, I think, largely tradition. I like that we do it. Do I think that most people would notice if we stopped doing it? Probably not. <laughs> I'm not going to lie and be like, this is the most important thing flavor-wise. It's like, <laughs> is it though? But I really, really like that we do it. And I do, I do think it makes a difference, but it's one of those like kind of nuanced uh, subtleties. And so I don't know if anybody else caught that there, but um, Casey Beer is so authentically German that Elizabeth just threw out the temperature 72, and I believe she means 72 Celsius, where most American breweries are using Fahrenheit. (laughs) Oh, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. No, I'm super screwed as far as, like, temperature conversions. It's all Celsius, it's Celsius, and then it's barrels, which is stupid, because the metric version of that should be, like, it's hectoliters. Yeah. But we measure it in barrels, and, yeah, so it's... It's just a mess. <laughs> you have to guess what unit of measurement I'm using. <laughs> we we have a local brewery here that fall in Pittsburgh that follows traditional Reinheitsgebot German brewing, and their hot side is in 
hectoliters and their cold side is in barrels. And I always thought oh. that was really confusing. <laughs> I used to have to convert it a lot when I was at Boulevard. I don't know why you do all of that in the same system. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's confusing. Yeah, um, the outside the cold side. You're going to end up like overfilling a tank or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, MC, do you want to join Elizabeth in drinking a Schwartz beer? I think it's time we get into. I'd love to. Two here. You know, Schwartz beer might be one of my favorite styles. Uh, I saw someone in the chat mention that they can't ever find their Bruvana uh, branded bottle openers. And I uh, actually never use a bottle op never use a bottle opener. And I want to ha share this handy trick with everybody at home. If you have a lighter, you can take that and wrap your finger around the lip of the bottle just under the cap and you jam the lighter up under the cap and just pop it off and you'll pop every cap off every time. I never have a bottle opener on me, but I, on the other hand, prefer to use like a long bottle opener, like, like a speed opener. Yeah. That way you don't have any teeth or anything or any, like, I don't know, lighters or anything. <laughs> lever. Yeah. That might like chip your bottle. So somewhere in between a lighter and a, and a fancy <laughs> bottle opener, I think you're going to be fine. So cheers. Cheers. Hmm. Oh, that's a wonderful beer. Yeah, it is. So toasty and delicious. Is it's this been, your it's favorite? It's been a staff favorite since we started making it. Yeah. What's your favorite beer that you guys brew there, Elizabeth? Um, year round at Pilsner, definitely our pills. Mm -hmm. Um it's it's at a point where like if I'm going to get a shift beer, like they'll just pour me one. And I usually like I just kind of <laughs> They just know. I, well, and, and we're, you know, it's typically served in like kind of a nice, like a more slender kind of Pilsner glass. And we also have like the half liter like uh willie becker size and mm -hmm. I, I always order just like what i call like an adult pills which is just <laughs> instead of the 0.35 liter i want the half liter and so they'll just pour me big pills and i'm like here you go the well, big gulp pills I, I didn't even want one necessarily but if it's presented i'm, I'm gonna drink it absolutely. i just but oh, yeah i love it it's good all year all year long absolutely so Liz, you've run uh beer tasting uh, quality analysis and quality control panels at a number of breweries. Can you talk about uh, the difference between regular old beer tasting for fun and sensory analysis? Yeah. So uh, when we're doing sensory, so at Boulevard, there was a lot of like, um, this was our pass fail for the beers like being released. And so everything kind of, it was such a much a bigger operation and there were so many more people that it was kind of necessary to have a making sure that everything after packaging and Boulevard did a lot of bottle conditioning. And so that was another aspect of it. So it was not going to be the same in like the conditioning tank or the packaging tank as it was in the package. And so that's one of the reasons that we kind of wanted to make sure we did it that way. But when you're tasting a beer, like, you know what the beer is and your perception of it is also colored by like kind of understanding what you're ex expecting. I think mm -hmm. expectation is a huge, huge, huge part of just the overall perception. And so let's say if we're sitting there and we've got like today in, in panel, we had four dunkles and two of them were ours. One of them was like just past its expiration date. One of them was fresh off the bottling line. And then we had two from two different breweries. And actually one of them was German. And so I just put all four of them there totally blind. And so people had to kind of go through and I want them to figure out what their favorite one is. And then uh, 
if they can, you know, try and use their descriptors to tell me why they think certain ones are their favorite. And it, it kind of depends. Like every single tasting is going to be a little bit different depending on what question you're asking. Today, it was just sort of a, which ones of these do you like? Sometimes you can set it up in a separate, you know, which one of these is different from the other two or rank them for oxidation. There's all sorts of things, but you really have to have a question that you're trying to answer. Whereas just hmm. drinking it is different. Like typically the the very most basic thing is like, is this true to brand? Like, is this Dunkel that I would, you know, if I got this for the very first time, is this what I want it to taste like? And as people who work at the brewery, we should know the beer better than anyone else. And so we're going to yeah. scrutinize it more than anyone else will. So that's, that's interesting. I've, I've seen a couple sensory labs at, um, at like on the new Belgium tour and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my perception was always it's, oh, we're going to try this beer to make sure it is this beer. It is the brand that we've mm -hmm. set it out to be. But it's interesting that you kind of switch it up day to day and ask different questions to kind of, I guess you're trying to keep people's palates on their toes, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, like just as the, as the brewing staff, like we kind of go through and we'll taste the packaging beer just before it, it actually goes to bottles, but we're small enough and we don't have really as many staff members as we would need to do a go or no go panel every single time we have a packaging run. And so that's why, I mean, really it's, every brewery is going to have to do it a little bit differently and scale it to what they're capable of because the, the thing that you can do that will make you feel the worst is like try and set these giant goals that you really aren't going to be able to achieve and then feel like you're failing and, you know, not doing it up to par when really like you should set your standard to be okay. As long as everyone's tasting these on a pretty regular basis, we can be a little bit less for not frequent, but just make sure that everyone knows what the beer should and shouldn't taste like so that we can kind of do some of that on our own as, as opposed to meeting and having a pass fail, like go or no go panel every single day. Cause we just, we can't do that. We don't have enough people and like everyone's doing other stuff. And once a week is pretty much about all we can, <laughs> we can muster. Not, yeah. Not everybody has the staff of a, a brewery like New Belgium. Yeah, exactly. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and kind of like piggybacking off of that a little bit. Um, the, so the Hefeweizen that we drank earlier, you guys got a silver medal at GB, GABF, the Great American Beer Festival. So, um, you know, speaking of quality control and yes, congratulations, cheers. You know, speaking of quality control and things like that, what do those kinds of competitions mean to a brewer? Oh, those are, so the GABF and World Beer Cup to me are the ones that I, I personally hold in the most regard just because I am fortunate enough to be a judge at both of those. And so I know how, like, I know what the, um, the process, process, I mean, yeah, I know what the process is and I know how difficult it is for a beer to advance because in those things, like, I can't imagine how anything could have more integrity than those competitions as far as logistically being able to get everything set and get the judges in there and make sure the judges are qualified and make sure that the, you know, beers are treated well and presented in a completely unbiased manner. But what I love about those is that all of the people who are judges, I would say like 90% of them are brewers. And so we all wow. take it really, really seriously. And if ever, like, you know, you've got a flight of like 10 Kolsch's in front of you and, you know, they're all sitting there and like seven of them taste like I would finish this beer if it was just poured, poured for me at a bar, but you can only advance three of them. Mm. So as a brewer, you're kind of sitting there like, oh shit, this is the, like, 
you know, it just got into a flight with a bunch of other really solid stuff. Like there's nothing wrong with it, but you have to be so kind of nitpicky and really look at the balance of everything and what you're at, what you're looking for in the beer. And we all have the guidelines in front of us and we discuss it as a group before we actually start the flight. And then after everyone's made their notes, then we kind of discuss them again and pick out anything with, with flaws or with balance issues or anything like that. And then a lot of times it'll come down to like, well, I think all of these are pretty solid. Like, does anyone feel really strongly about anything? And so, especially in that first round, it can almost be a little bit of the luck of the flight, you know, what it's sitting up against, but then a new round, like a new group of judges gets, you know, three, you know, maybe nine beers or six beers, like some denomination of three of beers that have passed a previous round. And then there's another group of people and it's a different bottle. And then they have to like, it has to advance again, sometimes like three or four times, depending on the size of the category. And so for a beer to metal, like it has gone through so many, so many rounds and, you know, scrutinized by people that I really value their opinion. And I know they're not just making decisions on the fly. Cause we all know, like, I would want someone to care about the thing that, that I submitted. And so sometimes it can, it, it's easy to kind of get lost or sort of, you know, have to do a quick, like reset because it can be a little overwhelming having that many beers in front of you and having to make notes of it. But I'll just sit there and be like, okay, someone took this. This was the beer that they selected out of all of their packaging runs. They put it into this category. They took the time. They had to print out the right label. They had to put the label in the right spot. They had to mail it. <laughs> they made sure it got to Denver. <laughs> and like, it went through all of these things. And, you know, I'm just picturing the brewers like sitting at the, at their warehouse or whatever, just being like, okay, this is the one, this is the one right here. And for me to not take that as seriously as I do, it is, it's, I mean, and all of the judges kind of feel that way because we've also entered the competition in categories that we're not judging. You know, we're, we're automatically eliminated from anything. If we enter a category, then like, that's not a category that we can. No conflict of interest. Yeah. 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 Even though it's completely, it's completely blind, but it's still like just a conflict of interest. And so, yeah, you just, you know, that everyone around you is taking a lot of care for it. And then the metal rounds, I mean, those are taken incredibly seriously because we know what it means. And so to actually win a medal after all of that is to me, like it, it means so much more kind of knowing what goes on behind the scenes. What, what changes with the metal rounds? Obviously it's less beers that you're ultimately deciding between, but are there certain judges that handle those metal rounds or is it just further scrutinizing those beers? How does it evolve at that high stage? Um, it really, so most of the time you're at a table with like maybe six or seven people and you all have the same beer style. So let's say that, you know, you're evaluating a Kolsch, uh, both halves of the, in the first round, both halves of the table, they've got maybe a flight of 10. We have a flight of 11 or something like that. We're all judging the same style, but like the table has two different flights in front of them. And that's usually how it will go up until the metal round. And the metal round is like the entire table of judges. And so it really, everyone's going to have like metal rounds when they're judging. Like sometimes if um, like newer judges might just have like a couple, like maybe one during a GABF time, but typically it's people who are a little bit more experienced in a metal round. Usually that's like six or I think nine is the most I've ever had in a metal round, but it's the entire table all together. And there's no like feedback notes. Those are all for the first round. And so you're really just taking notes for yourself and then making them like you kind of discuss them as a group. And there's guidelines for the medals where 
like a gold is, you know, like this is exemplary. This is the like dictionary like rubric almost. of this style. Yeah. And then mm. silver, I mean, really it's, it, it, it can be <laughs> some tables. Like, I mean, it's taken so seriously that every once in a while you only have like an ounce and a half of beer in a cup that has just a number on it. <laughs> and if you discuss it so long that the beer is gone, because typically you kind of only take a few little sips. You really don't need to drink the entire sample. And as it sits there, it's getting like more and more honest. So if there's any flaws at all, like it's sitting in an ounce and a half cup and then people are coming back to it and being like, yep, that's still clean as shit. Like that it's incredible the way that some (laughs) of these are able to be done. But then, I mean, there's a whole like thing where you have to, you write down the numbers on the cups of the beers that advance. And then the steward comes over and reads them back to make sure that, you know, you're, that it's completely understood. And then with the metals, like you put it into a little envelope and you close it. <laughs> and so like really think that's taken seriously. And then sometimes for a style that has kind of a variable base, like maybe an oak or wood aged thing or, or sorry, wooden barrel aged thing or something that has spirits or something that's got fruit added or some, t- some, some of those categories that it's like just a, you know, other strong ale or (laughs) something like that, where it can, it can vary a little bit. And so not only are you judging just the beer itself, you're judging the execution and what it, the label kind of tells you about what the brewer was intending and how well they made that work. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it can be really fun. And, And you're also sitting there with people who have been, you know, in the industry for 20 years, who are like brewery owners or brewmasters or people who are just, I mean, everyone really knows their shit there. And so it's fun to just kind of be part of those discussions and also understand the reverence that all of these people still have for what they're doing. Like it's just, yeah, judging those competitions is one of my very favorite things about being in this industry. So when you see, when you see a brewer that has a bunch of like GABF or World Beer Cup medals on it, like that is a place that knows its shit. Wow. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. Because to, to the everyday drinker, you know, that may just look like trophies on a shelf, but Mm -hmm. it's really, really special. Um, and it sounds like it's really special to judge. I think I remember you telling me one of your first times judging Garrett Oliver was at the table with you. Um, it wasn't Garrett Oliver. It was, uh, Dick Cantwell from Alicia. Okay. Okay. he was my table captain and I, I was brand brand. Like this was my very first table, my very first year. And like, I didn't really know that many people and at all, honestly. And I sat down and I was super nervous and I, it was like a, some sort of one of the strong stout categories. And I went through and I remember thinking that I thought I got diacetyl in one of the samples. And so I kind of jotted it down, but like I was out at that point, I'm like, what if I only know my beers and I don't actually know anything else. <laughs> And I just remember he was so kind and he made sure like, okay, well the table captain's job is like of the entire table is to kind of make sure everyone understands the style guidelines and make sure everyone's on the same page. And, you know, that's our job to kind of get the attention of the steward if we need anything from like them or the competition organizer. And so he was the table captain and he kind of made sure that I was on his side of the table so that he could help me through anything if I needed it. And usually when you're done writing you kind of do the discussion thing and usually you get rid of the low-hanging fruit first like if anything is really obviously flawed you really don't need to have much of a discussion about it and so but then everyone like kind of holds the cup up and make you know like make sure that the numbers all match and like okay this one dumping okay this one is dumping and then you put it in the dump bucket and so he deferred to me first 
and I was like, oh shit, 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 shit. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> and then I was like, I think I got diacetyl in number, like, you know, one, three, four, <laughs> six, three, or something like that. And he looked at the other person who was judging and we're both in, they're like, all right, I agree. And then, you know, we all dumped that out and it was this giant load off and I kind of relaxed for the rest of it, but it was, it was vindication. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Validation for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. I, I can only imagine, I mean, you and I talked about me taking my Cicerone exam. I can only imagine like okay. learning to be a judge, like a far off goal dream one day. Now let's take a beer break. We're about to discuss the Brave Noise Movement, and I'd like to give you some background before we get into that conversation. On May 11th, 2021, Brienne Allen, a production manager in a Massachusetts brewery, made a simple post to her Instagram stories. Quote, have you ever experienced sexism in the beer industry? End quote. What followed Brienne's post was an outpouring of literally hundreds of stories of harassment, sexism, racism, and in some cases, outright assault. Some of the breweries mentioned in these stories included some of the biggest breweries across the country, and the industry was definitely rocked from these stories. What followed was many breweries pledging to make a change, uh, producing a beer known as Brave Noise in collaboration with Brienne and others behind the movement. These breweries would brew this beer, uh, post their code of conduct, and pledge to work to make the beer industry a better place, the place where everyone is welcome. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so switching gears here just a yes. little bit. So we spoke about this and it's it's pretty well known that the Brave Noise movement is happening everywhere, not just Kansas City. Um, but a lot of people have heard that a lot of women have left Boulevard Brewing. Um, you are one of those women who are no longer at Boulevard um, because of the harassment, the, the just general culture of the workplace. Um, so I guess, you know, in relation to Casey Beer Company, since working there, you've been there for since 2016, you said, what would you say that Casey Beer Company is doing right in terms of creating like safe work environments for women that other breweries should be taking note of? I think one of the things that we really do well is that, and it's not really fair to just say it's because we're small, but like we're small enough that people are like, they really listen to concerns. And I think we have an owner that's very like conscious of making sure that it's a welcoming environment. And we have an HR person who also cares. That was one thing that was kind of missing before missing at Boulevard for a long time was like a real HR and just having an environment that feels a little bit safer, like free of, it was, there was some like stupid scrutiny that wasn't even like necessarily related to gender, but just sort of a demeaning attitude. A lot of times, like I just, there was one time and this wasn't even an employee. This was just like a distributor was walking through. So I was setting up sensory or I was, I think I was cleaning up after sensory actually. And, you know, that's a bunch of glasses going into a big dishwasher. And this distributor was on a tour and he walked by the room I was doing that in and he looked through and he's like, Oh, you have to do dishes here too. 
And wow, I just ignored him. I was like, I didn't know what to say. I just kind of eyes wide and just kind of kept on doing what I was doing. Cause I'm like, yeah, I just set up a fucking tasting. And then he like said it again and louder. And he was like, Oh, you have to do and like, he genuinely was acting like he felt bad for me that I had to do dishes here too. And then I turned and looked and like both of my supervisors were just laughing in the corner and like, they'd heard it too. And they just, they thought it was funny. And so it was not an environment that I would have felt comfortable bringing that up is like, Hey, that was kind of fucked up that that happened. Right. And you know, like there's a lot of stuff that has been just coming back to memory that I think I've sort of blocked out that, you know, very, and common experiences, like talking to some of the other women who worked there, who are no longer there, who kind of in that same, in that same area of the, of the company, you know, experienced that kind of thing too. And never really felt like it was a, an environment that they were able to say anything and actually be taken seriously. And I feel like that's one thing that that beer code does well is that I know that would be taken seriously. Right. It'd be taken very seriously. Yeah. Right. Another, another reason to drink KC beer company, a very good reason too. Yeah. Yeah. A a follow up on that. How does that, you know, knowing that you're supported in your workplace by KC beer co and the management there, how does that just change your day to day work? Or attitude and work, excuse me. That's that was a oh yeah. Well, I think uh, one one thing that's really nice about it is that it kind of reinforced or like it kind of gave me like a renewed confidence in my knowledge and ability, which I think after being kind of really subtly demeaned for that long, even if it wasn't as outright every single time, there were just like little things over a decade that just kind of made me think that, okay, well, this is the only place I'll ever be able to work because I'm not qualified to go anywhere else because Mm -hmm. obvious, like this is kind of how I've been made to feel. And then in a company, in a company where, or any work setting where your experience and knowledge is respected like that, you can kind of regain that confidence and be an even better employee because you don't doubt yourself all the time. And I mean, there definitely are still times. And I mean, I acknowledge that I'm still learning and but now I've, I know that I'm capable of working, <laughs> whereas for a long time, I'm like, oh, no, this is, this is not good. Yeah. Well, to lighten the mood a little bit, may- maybe. Um, <laughs> so it, it's, it was happening all over the country. Woo! Yeah, it, it was. And it is still. Um, yeah. And it's, it's good and bad and everything in between. But it's also currently day 68 of the MLB lockout. I know that the Royals are very important, very near and dear, uh, Kansas City's heart and your heart and and specifically, I think. Um, So what are your thoughts for our next baseball season? Oh, man. I, you know, I honestly kind of thought it would be, uh, they'd come to some sort of agreement by now. (laughs) Seeing as how pitchers and catchers report is usually like next week. Right. Yeah. And that feels unlikely yeah (laughs) they're gonna come to a nice happy agreement before that and you know i definitely am supporting the players here because on a on a scale you're sitting there like oh really you're gonna get you know two million dollars and you're gonna complain about it but like it's all a matter of the scale of like what the owners are making versus like what the people are making who are actually doing the work and they deserve their rights in collective bargaining just absolutely yeah. yeah 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 and the fact that they're just like no and then there are people who all season have you know, maybe they needed to be working with a physical therapist to come back from some sort of a 
you know, tendon surgery or something like that. And if that person was working for the organization, they're not allowed to see him. They're locked out from everything. It's awful. Right. So yeah, I hope the players come out of this happy. And I also hope it's, it's resolved sometime soon because season tickets i really want to go to game i have a baseball question what's it like (laughs) to have a team that is successful and the owners care about winning in i'm I'm from pittsburgh oh yeah (laughs) you know i've lived in mid-missouri my whole life and that world's had some dark years yeah i mean yes yeah yeah. we sent like all-star matt harvey to the like to the all-star game once. And he infamously was like playing first base once and he was going for a foul ball. And instead of catching the ball, he got stuck behind the tarp that covers like the field for rain delays. Like, I mean, oh. fully like, Whoa. like legs stu- stuck up in the air and needed to get help out of there. And that was our all-star. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tells you everything you need to know. It was a mess. Like there was some, like the mid, the mid ops were not, were not good. There was no hope. We're like, well, I hope we don't get blown out today. Right. Uh, we did have one great question from Ooh. the chat that I wanted to follow up on. Going back to Great American Beer Festival and just those high-level yeah. beer competitions in general, is that judging closed for all rounds or is there observers? Oh, I, I say it's... that and I think, like, is there is there stands oh, no. <laughs> watching people judge beer? But that's like... No, it's so usually... So typically, GABF happens, you know, mm-hmm. like the festival itself is at the Denver um, Convention Center. And we used to do judging in the conference rooms of the hotel that we stayed at, which was like the Marriott for a while, like kind of within walking distance, but we were just mm, on right like two that. different conference levels. Um, we have since like, since so many people, like there's so many more breweries and there's so many more people entering beer. We actually use rooms in the convention center now. And so it's um, most definitely like closed. And then we we're not even allowed to like loiter or like linger past the the staging area like we know where the staging area is and everything is set up so that we really don't walk past it and if we do like you walk past it move along eyes ahead don't look in there (laughs) because like your biases can be ruined just by kind of knowing what all's in there like not that we would be able to really tell anything just by walking by but you know like you see you can see labels if you were really to look and the whole idea is that we're judging the beer on the beer's merits alone and not because we have some expectation of it. And so, yeah, I mean, the integrity of the competition is one of the things that makes me think it's such a, one of the best medals to win is because it's taken so, so seriously. And a lot, like sometimes even the stewards, um, like they have to kind of apply to be a steward and then sometimes they'll come back year after year and the wow. stewarding themselves. And actually a couple of years ago, after Steve Dressler from Sierra Nevada retired, he thought it would be fun to be a steward. <laughs> and so he'll judge for like two days of the competition now. And then he stewards for the rest. But his very first day, he wasn't even lead steward because he'd never done it before. And so you've got one lead steward and then kind of two people who are just there to, you know, it's like, well, you know, someone's like, well, I'm Kathy and this is Doug and Steve. And like Steve Dressler's just kind of sitting there. <laughs> For those that don't know, Steve Dresser was the, I believe, head brewer or brewmaster at Sierra Nevada for like 30 years. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the most accomplished brewers in the industry. He's like, oh, I'm going to be a steward now. Oh, he just wanted to be a steward. And so all of the judges know who he is because like, you know, if you don't, if you haven't worked with him or like talked to him before, you certainly know who he is. And, but he's just like very quietly, he's just like, 
you know, hi, I'm Steve. Can I get you anything? Like, do you need some more water? Do you need some more bread? <laughs> like, yes, Steve, just I need more bread. <laughs> Go get me bread. Yeah. <laughs> so it's fun. So, we, I mean, it is, it's fun, but like we take it seriously, but you know, shit like that will happen where suddenly your steward is like a guy who's like invented pale ale. <laughs> right. Like father of American beer. Amazing. That's unbelievable. Uh, so Elizabeth, uh, yep. before we wrap up here, where can people find Casey Beer Co. beers? Well, right now, so we, I believe this year, I mean, the pandemic kicked it a little bit. I think we're maybe hovering right around like 14,000 barrels a year, something like that. And so we only distribute in Kansas and Missouri right now, and not even all of Missouri. I think we go about halfway east, so we're not really quite in St. Louis yet, but then um, through most of most of Kansas. I don't know if anyone out there is from like Hayes, but yeah, we're, we have a distributor like in the Flint Hills. <laughs> so yeah, we're just you know, trying not to make our like footprint too big. And because the, the tighter that you kind of keep that, that radius, the easier it is to kind of uh, control the quality. And so I think any growth that we do is going to be really, really measured and taken seriously. Cause I think we're all familiar with like breweries that have gotten too big, too fast and you know, they have a big launch and then the beer sits there for six months and like wow. the, there's no like depletion on the distributor side. It just goes to the store and then it sits there forever. And so we're really careful about not yeah. trying to do that. So, yeah. So Kansas and Missouri right now. Elizabeth, anything else you want to plug? Final thoughts before we wrap <laughs> up for the night here. Beer tasting doesn't have to be like that that difficult. I mean, anyone can set up a blind tasting on their own. Like really all you need to do is remove the bias of knowing what it is that you're tasting. Like you can do this really easily with just friends of yours is just set up unlabeled unmarked things, maybe set them on coasters like a, B and C. And then like positional bias is also a thing. So if you've got multiple people doing this kind of switch the coasters up for everyone and don't let them know, don't let them know what you're tasting and then just kind of go through them and taste everything on their own merit. Even if it's something you're going to be, you think you're really familiar with, you'd kind of be surprised what stands out and what maybe tastes like, Oh, I, I hate this beer. It's like, mm, you don't though, do you? <laughs> like and if you don't know what it is, you like it. So yeah, I, I mean, I would say like try and drink beers without the bias and it's, it really kind of changes your perception when you take the, the expectations out of the way. It's very easy to do. Just, yeah. Get a bunch of people together, pour them, don't tell them what it is. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be as simple as just drinking with a, just put a blindfold on, drink with a blindfold, everybody mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In a safe space, you know, sit, sit down in a chair, put your blindfold on. Put your blindfold on, <laughs> have someone pour it for you. <laughs> don't try, don't try, I'll, I'll do all of this with your eyes closed. Right. Buddy, buddy system. It'll be easier. <laughs> but yeah, right, so well, it doesn't need to be as fancy as, you know, like a formal tasting in a brewery. Anyone, anyone can, can do this. Anyone can be a beer scientist. This way. Yeah, of course. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Thanks for answering all our questions and no talking problem. about beer thanks for, stuff. Thanks for spreading the word about our beer. Have me on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you deserve it. Beer Great was wonderful. Thank you again. Thank you. Yes, it's good to see you too. Awesome. Thank you. MC, final thoughts. I mean, these are like two of my favorite beers ever. Just like a delight to share them with all of you and to like speak with the woman that brewed them. Such a treat. Such a treat tonight, I think. I have two empty glasses of that, styles that I don't that's normally a great order. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's a testament that that have a <laughs> bison was wonderful. All right. 
we'll, we'll be back next week, everybody. Cheers. Cheers, y'all. Hey, you made it to the outro. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bruce Less Travel. This was a really fun one. Um, Elizabeth was a wonderful guest. If you're interested in checking more out about KC Beer Co., you can go to kcbeer.com. That's K-C-B-I-E-R.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Brave Noise movement, you can check out bravenoisebeer.com. As always, you can find more from us at Bruvana.com. If you're interested in taking your podcast experience to the next level, you could sign up for the Bruce Less Traveled Beer Club at that website. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And we highly recommend checking us out on Untapped to stay in touch with the latest beers from the beer club. We'll be back next week with another great episode. I'm currently in my hotel room right now. I'm looking around. It's like 6 in the morning, getting ready to head out and check out our next beer city that we'll be featuring. Really excited to share this stuff with you. Spent a day yesterday exploring one of our upcoming cities, and there's just so much I cannot wait to share with all of you. Uh, including next week's episode. So check back in. We have Torn Label as our featured brewery, and uh, we have another great guest. Thanks to MC for co-hosting this week, and she will be back next week. But until then, be safe, be kind, and support your local brewery. Cheers.